Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CIO House View monthly live stream. Today is Thursday, October 5th, 2023. I'm Anthony Pastore here in our studios in New York City. Thank you so much for joining us. I am joined this afternoon by my CIO colleagues, David Lefkowitz and Jason Dreho, who we will be talking to here in a moment. But first, we always want to remind you that we do appreciate hearing from our audience. Since this is a live show, we always encourage you, if you have a question, to ask it. There's an Ask a Question button right on the website. You're watching this video, and it is open right now to allow you to engage with us during today's discussion. We are going to be obviously taking a look as they come in, and we'll be asking it of the, uh, the panel, which is Jason and David sitting to my left, in just a few minutes. But in the meantime, uh, let's get started. So Jason, David, first of all, thank you for being here. Um, Jason, let's start with you. Um, there's a lot of talk out there about soft landings, hard landings, soft-ish, hard-ish. I mean, you name it, there's an acronym that's out there. There's an expression out there. What are your thoughts right now, given what we know from the Fed from a couple of weeks ago and the way rates are going, where we're headed? Are we soft-ish? Are we soft-hard? What's happening? So our, our official view is we expect sort of a, a softish landing. And based on the most current data up through what we even got this morning, that's consistent with it. Uh, the way we think we really want to kind of assess the likelihood is like, where is the economy going in terms of growth data? And where's the inflation story? And what does that mean for what the Fed can do? Right. And if you look at the growth data, it's all still consistent with the economy holding up, showing good resilience, especially the labor market. We're seeing very low, for example, like uh, you know, unemployment rates, but also like a new jobless claim. So people aren't getting laid off. We will get the September uh, payrolls report tomorrow and get an indication like how much is job growth going. But all the indications are the, the labor market is still tight or tight-ish. It's cooling, but still very kind of robust. And if that's true, then you should see consumer spending continue to hold up. So we're not seeing much change there. On the inflation front, the data still shows inflation is coming down. The most recent measure that the Fed cares most about, you know, PCE inflation, that continued to come down in August. The core measures are coming down. So all that's consistent with tending towards a, a softer landing, or at least, I'd say, a low risk in the next you know, 9, 12 months of a recession. Beyond that, of course, recession risk can rise. There's always some tail risks. There's uncertainties. But the data would suggest still we're on track for that. I think the markets are still kind of pricing for that scenario. Well, it's interesting when you talk about the pricing of the scenario. Look at what's happening with uh, treasuries. You've got the 10-year, the 30-year, making these historic highs on the yield side. Um, and we're going to get into the equity story here in a minute with David. But certainly, um, the performance we've seen in the S&P 500 the last couple of weeks uh, certainly tells a tale of rates going higher while equities are starting to decline on that. What, what's, what do you think the causes are here, Jason? Because we're, we're looking at these extremely high borrowing costs for consumers, mortgage rates, uh, people who have any home equity loans and a variable rate, they're just exorbitant. Um, and we still see rates, well, they peaked a little bit, and we're going to throw a chart up here in a minute, but still at these levels. What's going on here? So really, we're focusing on the 10-year Treasury yield and the 30-year Treasury yield, because that's really been the story some way all summer. They've risen both like 90 to 100 basis points since the beginning of July. Mm -hmm. The bulk of that, around 60 to 70% of that has happened since September 1st. The front end of the curve, the two-year, has actually only up about 10, 20 basis points. So it's really the long end that's moved. So the question is, well, what's driving it? It's not inflation expectations, because those have actually held very steady throughout the entire summer. That's a, a minor driver. Uh, part of the story earlier in the summer was, as the market started to embrace a soft landing, the expectation for Fed cutting next year in 2024 and 2025, those rate cut expectations got priced out. As that happens, you can see the 10-year and the 30-year rise because we're not going to go into recession. That's mm -hmm. what the market's saying. What's happened more recently, though, is a backup in yields that reflect another piece that we never or don't talk about nearly as much, but something like a term premium or risk premium for buying 
a 10 or a 30 year bond versus buying say a one year bond and rolling it over repeatedly. You need to get sort of compensated for buying this bond that could be more sensitive to economic conditions. So that sort of risk premium is actually the one that's really driven rates higher. This reflects concerns about a lot of supply given large deficits. It reflects the fact that you have the Fed not buying bonds anymore, actually shrinking or selling bonds effectively. You have the concerns about the fiscal situation in DC, meaning like who, there's a lot of supply, who's the buyer. So if it means, you know, if I'm a potential buyer in treasury bonds, I think, well, I need to be compensated for that risk. So I think what's happened recently is that risk premium has gone up. Mm. But I think the story is still consistent with, if the market was really worried about a recession in the next 12 months, we wouldn't see a 10-year treasury at 4.7%. We'd see it at like 42 or even 3.7%. So it might have go higher, but it's still consistent with a stoffish landing. Do you, I mean, we're not in the, in the game of predicting here, but could it be that we've hit the peak at 4.7548, specifically talking about the 10-year? So there's clearly, in the past couple of weeks, it's moved very sharply, very quickly. Yes. And sometimes you get these situations where kind of to catch the falling knife. When things are moving, do you want to step in and buy treasuries? The price is falling, but if they fall further, you know, you, you don't want to buy just yet. Yeah. What we're seeing now is some sort of stabilization. If you start to kind of think about what's a reasonable price for a yield for a 10-year treasury, if we get no recession, maybe it is four to four and a half percent. So it's a little bit higher than that, but not way out of line. If it goes much higher than this, like to 5% or plus, well then the implications for the economy become greater. The risks to the financial system become more stressed. So there's a little, I think the market's trying to figure out like what is the, the right level. They want to get confidence that the economy is slowing down and people will be willing to say, may go a little bit higher, but if I buy at 4.75%, that's a pretty good yield that I can lock in. And if things do slow down, those yields are going to come down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a fascinating picture to see um, the, these, these really sharp moves. The 10-year was somewhere around a three and a quarter in March, and it's up 150 basis points since then. And uh, just to see that in all the years I've been monitoring these things, uh, to see those moves is, is insane uh, and very historic. So David, on the flip side with equities, um, we're watching yields on the bonds rise while the S&P is starting to maybe turn around a little bit. What's the story on the equity side? Yeah, so I, I would say, Anthony, in terms of the, the rate impact on the equity market, I make a couple points. First, the speed of the move matters, mm -hmm. right? So usually when interest rates are rising gradually, the stock market has a much easier time digesting that. When the move is rapid, which we certainly have seen that uh, in the last couple of months, that's when you see a little bit more indigestion in, in equity markets. And I think that's been a, a big part of the reason why we've seen uh, you know, equities have, have kind of pulled back a little bit. The other important point, and Jason sort of touched on this, is why are rates rising, right? So um, I mean, I want to make a distinction here between last year and what we're seeing today. Last year, it was all about uh, rates were rising because the Fed was getting much more aggressive. They were fighting inflation. Uh, and, and that was pretty negative for, for equities. Now it seems like they're rising because not so much of the Fed, but more that the economy has been pretty resilient, right? So, so that's a really important distinction. I guess the last element I would, I would mention is just, you know, in theory, higher interest rates do have a negative valuation uh, connotation. Um, but at the same time, earnings growth matter, mm -hmm. right? And, and if, if the, the higher rate environment means that there's more conviction in the earnings growth coming through, you know, those, that can be an offset. And, the la and I guess one final point here, again, making the distinction with 2022. In 2022, the story was rates up, stocks down. What I think people overlooked is that earnings revisions were very poor in 2022. Companies were, were reducing earnings expectations. We're seeing the opposite now. We're actually seeing earnings revisions are, are improving and, and turning positive. So, 
So I don't think it's going to be as impactful as it was last year. Um, but obviously, to Jason's point, I mean, you know, if it really goes up super high, you know, that that's a that's, that's a, different a different story. Indication. But uh, that's not what we're expecting. Were those earnings revisions in 2022 because the market was thinking that we were heading for a recession, even a mild one, versus what we think today? Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it was so much about the recession uh, probabilities. I think a lot of it was look, a, a lot of companies in the S and P 500 are goods oriented, right? They're, they're not, when I say goods, I mean, you know, making a distinction between services, right? The U.S. economy is 85% services, 15% goods. For the S&P, it's more like 50-50, you know, round numbers. Right. So we had a surge in goods consumption in 20 and 21, and 22 was a kind of a normalization of that. You know, there was a little bit of a pullback away from goods back to services, and that affected a range of companies that are publicly traded. Plus, you had very, very high margins in 2021. As, as people were, companies were able to hire people, you, know, you, you started to see the cost structure rise and, and get back into line with where revenues were. So that was a bit of a headwind. Um, housing obviously came under some pressure because of the backup in mortgage rates. So I think there were some idiosyncratic factors that really drove the negative earnings revisions. Um, and that's not the, the environment we see right now. Thank you. So let's look at the S&P 500 specifically. It's down uh, 7 8% from its recent summer high. Where do you think we go from here? And obviously, we know the story. You know, sure. like 90% of the success of the S&P was basically from seven stocks at the top of the chain, right. mostly in the names of tech. So right. where, where does that, where do we go from here on the S&P right. and, and equities in general? So look, I would say for the first time in in you know a few several months, I think the risk reward in equities is is getting more interesting here, right? We've got you know valuations have pulled back, um, so the market's now trading at uh, 17 and a half times earnings. That's down from 19 uh, back in the summer. Um, if you strip out those seven magnificent companies, <laughs> um, then you're trading at at 16 times. Sentiment is also getting more cautious. We can see that by looking at surveys of investors. You can see that by looking at some of the positioning data. So that tends to be a, a that tends to lead to positive returns because when people are more cautious, then there's kind of dry powder on the sidelines to propel markets higher. Um, and and the third thing is we we sort of talked about this, but you know we we think we're we're at an inflection in terms of earnings growth right um and and i think the earnings recession that we've seen over the the last three quarters when we when we start into third quarter earnings season i think we'll get clear confirmation that that earnings recession is now over um so the setup looks looks more appealing than it has in in some time you know like in our base case over the next sort of nine to 12 months, you know, think a 10%-ish type return in the S&P 500 is, is very reasonable. It's, it's very hard to, again, that's in the soft landing scenario mm -hmm. and, and that Jason talked about. Um, it's very hard to know that when the absolute bottom is gonna be in any of these sell-offs, but I would say the risk reward is definitely more attractive than it's been uh, in, in several months. Great, thank you, David. Uh, just wanna remind our audience again, if you have a question, please uh, click the button on your screen and send it in. We'd be happy to hear from all of you. So Jason, uh, two of the key messages in focus that we have here in CIO, we've got managed liquidity and buy quality bonds. We've certainly talked about buy quality bonds a lot. Obviously where rates are, it's an attractive time to be getting into some instruments there. But what are some of the specific recommendations for both of those themes, um, especially in light of these moves that we've seen in rates that we're talking about? Well, it's almost, you want to think of these like as a barbell strategy. You know, you want to manage liquidity, which is so your front end or short maturity, 
buy quality bonds, these are going to have longer maturity, longer duration. The idea behind the managed liquidity is that our expectation is the Fed, if they're not already done hiking rates, after the next FOMC meeting on November 1st, they either whether they raise or not, they're going to, the market will perceive them to be probably done hiking, in which case the direction of travel is for rates to go lower at the front end of the curve going forward. Mm-hmm. It may take a few quarters before that happens, but it does mean if you're you know investing now and you're locking in a year from now, those rates could end up being, you know, start to you know start to go in kind of good decline. So really, what, what, what the guidance we have is think of it like a liquidity strategy and have enough invested in you know higher quality, short maturity fixed income that will cover you for like two to three years. That's the liquidity strategy. The buy quality bonds is kind of the other end of like buying higher quality bonds, whether it's treasuries, high quality munis. Uh, investment grade corporate bonds, even preferreds to some extent, they're a little bit riskier, but they're still, you know, you know, um, you know, offer a good yield. Also a little bit longer duration. Now for the past month, that longer duration maturity has been kind of worked against it as rates have risen. But our expectation is that the economy sort of cools in the fourth quarter, slows down a bit, those rates will drift a little bit lower, they'll kind of go but maybe closer to where they were just even, you know, you know, a, a month ago. So you get the total return benefit. If we get a recession next year, you also get yields falling quite a bit more, so you get the portfolio diversification benefit more so than you would at front, the front of the curve. And another thing is, a lot of investors would have thought, well, why should I buy a 10-year treasury when I can buy a two-year bond that's yielding me 100 basis points more? One of the results of the rates rising the past month is that curve is sort of flattened. The difference between the 10-year yield and the two-year yield is only 30 basis points right now. Mm-hmm. So you're not giving up very much yield by going out on the curve. And if rates decline, you get a bigger bang for your buck at the long end of the curve. So it's a good way to sort of kind of you know, manage your fixed income portfolio but almost by barbelling between these two different ideas. Terrific. Thank you, Jason. Uh, David, on the, on the equity side, where are you recommending investors be positioning themselves, given, as we were just talking about, the incredible run we've seen in a lot of these S&P 500 companies? Um, where's the best opportunity today for stocks? Right. So, yeah, so in general, we see the best opportunity uh, you know, away from some of those some of those growthier areas, and so from a sector perspective, uh, the sectors that we like right now are energy, industrials, and consumer staples. So, uh, energy, I would just highlight. Look, it, it, it's always about the oil price. Um, so, you know, what, what OPEC has done in terms of uh, really restoring some uh, tightness to to the markets by taking off supply uh, that what they've done over the last uh, couple of months we're starting to see that now in the data the inventories the oil inventories are, are really starting to come down um, and you know it's actually kind of hard to explain that little sell-off we saw in oil prices just it actually wasn't that little in oil prices yesterday so yeah, so you know, oil energy has been a good area, but after the recent pullback in in oil prices, you know, it looks like we're, we're also primed for some some better returns going forward as well. Um, you know, on the industrial side, uh, there's a lot of interesting things going on with industrials. Um, you've got a lot of the a lot of leverage to some of the government programs, whether it be the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, whether it be infrastructure spending, all those are just beginning to, to be recognized. On top of that, um, you know, the, the defense spending story is part of that as well. Um, and then there's just the reshoring, onshoring, that kind of stuff. The other thing is that, we talk, I don't know if we talked about this, but you know, it looks like we're nearing the end of this sort of goods recession. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the trucking companies and some of the railroads have been talking about this freight recession. Inventories are now looking more in line and more cleaned up. And so for transports, that could be an interesting story uh, over the next couple of quarters. So there's a, a lot of, it's a pretty heterogeneous sector when you talk about industrials, but 
we think there's some interesting things going on there. Staples, look, we want to have a little bit of ballast in the portfolio. So it's a defensive sector, um, and, and that's the one uh, that, that we, we have as most preferred. You know, other looking at other laggards within the equity market, we also like the equal weighted S&P 500. It's trading much cheaper than, uh, than the S&P, trading at 14 times earnings. And if we really get this earnings recovery that we're expecting, you know, you should see that filter into uh, some of the, the smaller companies, uh, you know, away from the, the magnificent seven as people talk about them. So um, th that's how we would be positioned and, and looking for opportunities. Great, thank you, David. Uh, getting a lot of audience questions in here, but while I'm going through them, I, let me stay with you really quickly on, because you mentioned oil prices, um, and, and you just mentioned how they had, have fallen over the past week or so. How much of an impact does that give you, like on the outlook for maybe the, the markets? And then, Jason, if you want to pivot just from the broader economic perspective, I know you, with energy stocks specifically, what does that look like? Yeah, for... I think it, you know, if oil prices are going to, you know, stay in the, you know, around these levels, maybe get to 100 on the upside in, in an upside case, um, I think that's, you know, manageable mm -hmm. for for the for the, you know, maybe you want to talk about the the economic application, but but look, higher oil prices are going to be good for energy stocks, right? I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. I mean, the other, uh, obviously, the other element here we didn't talk about, but it's just. I mean, these companies are generating a tremendous amount of free cash flow. So obviously, the higher that oil prices go, you know, the larger the free cash flow is. And the companies are really sticking to this capital discipline mantra. Um, so even though you know, we have seen an increase in oil prices the last few months, we haven't heard any companies saying they're going to ramp up spending or anything like that in terms of capital spending. So you know, that, that's also been a big part of the story of why, why energy looks attractive. Great. And Jason, anything to add? economically speaking. So there's two points, the growth impact and the inflation impact. I think in both cases, it's much less than the, the average person might think because you know you see the price go up the pump, you think oh, this is really painful. But in terms of the overall spend in the economy, it's still you know, pretty small. So think of it if, like from a GDP perspective, if prices were to go up another 10 or $20 in terms of price per barrel, maybe that knocks off like one-tenth of a percent of, of GDP growth. For an economy that's already slowing, that's a little bit more of a headwind, but it's still relatively minor. Same thing on inflation, people will extrapolate. I think this is a big story for inflation. Frankly, for the Fed, because they believe this is you know, transitory, they're gonna look through any rise in gas prices, oil prices, it's not gonna alter what they do. So I think it, in terms of the economic impact, it's much less than maybe people think, and therefore, as a result for the markets, it's you know, sector specific, but not gonna really alter the story dramatically overall. Terrific, thank you, Jason. All right, let's go to some audience questions. Um, and David, let me pivot this over to you. Some, and the question is, third quarter, Corporate earnings season kicks off next week. We've got the banks reporting. Um, um, what are what are you expecting overall for this earnings season? What do you think that will look like? I know we touched on it a little bit yeah. earlier. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see a big change from what we've seen the last uh, couple of quarters. I, I think um, we just got a we just got some some updates from a number of companies across a whole range of industries that were at some conferences for the better part of September. You know, most companies are indicating kind of status quo that there's been no significant change in the outlook. So th that'd be our base case. And you know, after this sort of sell-off here, I think the setup go from a market perspective is looking more interesting, right? You've got more caution in the markets now. I, I think companies are going to be in a position where they they beat earnings. What's really been interesting is that the earnings estimates for third quarter have really held up pretty strongly uh, relative to what they normally do. Um, now, some people might say that means the bar is higher, so to speak. 
but we know, I mean, doing this a long time, corporate America is pretty good at setting appropriate expectations and then beating them. That happens pretty regularly. So, yeah, I, I think putting that all together, I, I think what we're going to hear is that U.S. consumer is fine, that, um, and, and that's probably one of the most important factors, um, and the banks are going to be a, a, a crucial kind of element in terms of getting that, uh, that take. Um, but I, I think the other big takeaway is going to be that the earnings recession is over, mm -hmm. and we're probably going to see, you know, earnings growth is probably going to be in the two, three, four, or five percent. We haven't, you know, published a number on that, but you know, that's sort of the range that I think we'll probably see, and that'll be the first quarter of year-over-year -year earnings growth since I think it was third quarter of last year. So, uh, so I, I think the the story is going to be one of just consistency from what we've seen uh, the last couple of quarters. Terrific. Thank you, David. Um, uh, Jason, a question coming in asking what data is available that would show that the economy is reaccelerating as a few others have claimed. I guess they're talking about watching sometimes the people that show up on media saying these terms. So you're going to see GDP data that looks like the economy is accelerating. We just got revisions last week for the second quarter, put it down to 2.1%. Q1 was around 2%. The estimates for Q3 right now are tracking 3%. The Atlanta Fed has a measure that's wildly followed. It's at 4.9%. So if you just take those numbers, literally, it looks like the economy is accelerating. Right. What we can start to see, though, as, as the kind of the, the months go by, that there's a lot of, I think the consumer is very strong in, in July. Uh, that's helped kind of maybe pull forward some spending. Uh, as we kind of move throughout the summer into the fall, the most recent kind of, say, credit card spending data would suggest that the, the consumer is moderating a little bit. Still healthy, as David alluded to but it's not accelerating. Uh, if we look at the labor market, it, by all indications, if we take the, the past two years, uh, monthly job growth, clear trend lower. If you look at wage growth, it's trending lower. Job openings coming down. Month to month, there's definitely noise in the data, but the picture is still as an economy slowing down. This idea that was, it's less today, but like you know, six weeks ago in the summer, people talked about reacceleration. That always seemed to be a little bit of extrapolating to current trends beyond what was sustainable. And with the interest rates where they are, these things will start to bite. You're seeing the margins, definitely some consumers impacted, mm -hmm. some businesses impacted. So this notion of reacceleration or like no landing, you kind of began like the softest landing, no land, that is seems, you know, that never seemed plausible. Right. And the trends would suggest that it's also not, it's happening. The question is just how much is the economy actually slowing down or is it really even slowing down much at all? But it's not looking like it's accelerating. Yeah, I mean, look, we know the, the, the Fed is data dependent. Uh, obviously when the shutdown almost happened, we were worried that there was not going to be enough data released because of the shutdown for the Fed to make any informed decisions, but that's not the case for now. But we've got, as you mentioned earlier, the unemployment, uh, jobs numbers coming out tomorrow. Unemployment, obviously, is one that we're going to be looking at. If unemployment does decline, this is all, you know, sort of theoretical here, could that indicate that we're maybe heading into a recessionary risk? Or is that just something that it's too specific to tell? If the unemployment rate declines, or if you mean like job growth declines? Job growth declines. declines. Unemployment rises, rises. I should say. I mean, like, it's been a steady decline. Now, the expectations, the kind of consensus expectations around 175,000 for September. So to have a negative number would be quite shocking. To have something, given, given that we're seeing weekly jobless claims at very, very low levels, it's hard to imagine, like, you're going to see very low layoffs at the same time, very low hiring. Like, just, that's not the way the, the way the data works. Right. Now, what's likely is you're going to see a continued moderation. I think... Frankly, the financial markets wouldn't mind saying in a you know job growth to be like 130,000 because like okay means the labor market continues to cool. And also, it's another reason why the Fed could say like you know we've done enough, we won't hike. So it might be one of those things where for the markets, 
bad news is good news for the markets, at least for a day. Mm -hmm. Now, that can only go on for so long because <laughs> you know, negative job growth, you know, uh, weekly jobless claims that are like over 300,000 rising. Uh, David shared a chart the other day, like there is a level where it's good and then at some point it's like, you know, bad news is just bad news yeah. for the markets. It goes into panic mode. Something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, the panic euphoria models yeah. that the technical uh, analysts always look but at. But we're still a ways away from like, from, given, that. from, from that happening. We need to even see some further softening and, and like the most recent data suggests the coolant is very moderate. Got it. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Um, David, let me ask you another question. Uh, somebody asks, you know, the equity risk premium is at a low level. Mm -hmm. How does that square with investing in equities right now? Yeah, so I, I would say, look, it, it's an asset allocation question, so I'm also curious what, what Jason's yeah, perspective for sure. is. Um, but I would also highlight that the equity risk premium has oftentimes, in fact, we had a a 20-year period from roughly 1980 to the year 2000 when the equity risk premium was actually negative and, and, and somewhat deeply negative at, at times. Um, so I, I would just you know, remind investors, I mean, it depends how you calculate these things. There's no sort of uniform way of, of calculating that. And, and we're, not, we're not negative yet on, on the equity risk premium. What I'm talking about is the basically the earnings yield in inverse of the PE minus the 10-year treasury. That's the metric I'm talking about, just to make it clear for the audience. Um, you know, that's close to zero, it's it, it slightly positive, but it, it doesn't look out of whack with sort of long-term history. And the thing with, um, with stocks is that your income, your, your earnings or the, the company's earnings, or at least the index's earnings, are going to grow, right? I mean, we have some pretty strong confidence that over you know, periods of time, earnings will grow. So just to look at uh, an earnings yield and compare it to a bond yield, and just because they're equivalent, doesn't account for the fact that, yeah, but your fixed income is fixed by definition. Your, the income you get from the company or, or the stock uh, grows over mm -hmm. time. So that's the rationale. We, we could, we, we've had long periods of negative equity risk premium. We, that could certainly happen. Yeah. What about on the asset allocation side, Jason? Well, I think David sort of alluded to it. There was a period of time for 20 years where the equity risk premium was negative when bond yields were higher. Oftentimes, you'll see charts and people say, like, over the last 20 years, it's you know the lowest it's been because you know bond yields were incredibly low for for 15 to 20 years. So to compare the you know earnings yield versus a 10-year at 4.7 versus like 1.5, of course, it's going to look different. But the 10-year for a long period of time was four, five, six, or even 10 percent. And equities did find those environments. So when you take a long enough history, then you can say, well, actually, on average, equities may be a little bit rich, but definitely not something where you think they're so expensive that this is, you know, that there's only downside. That's not the case at all, given sort of the long-term relationship. Right. And I mean, this is something that, you know, David, you're talking about quite a lot. We have a message and focus about looking for the equity laggards that are out there. And so, you know, there are still lots of pockets of opportunity on the equity side for yeah, investors. For sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's not just about you know, buying the, the market, right? I mean, obviously, there's always going to be opportunities within the market. Of right, exactly. Yeah. Great. Uh, thank you all for the audience questions. Um, I'm sorry we didn't get to all of them today, but we will uh, make sure that we have someone connect with you via email um, to answer any questions you might have. Gentlemen, just last 30 seconds, anything to leave our audience with today? David, I'll start with you. Uh, probably just the main message I would say is that, look, you know, after this sell-off, I, I think the risk-reward is getting more attractive. Probably the most attractive it's been in, you know, at least the last six or mo six months or so. Um, and and keep, I would keep, so keep that in perspective, keep the rate move in perspective, um, that it's really been driven by 
you know, very different drivers, I think, than, than 22. So this could be setting up for a period of some, some nice returns from equities uh, over the coming months. Terrific. Thank you very much, David. Uh, Jason, anything to add? The only thing I would add to that is, you know, we have the, the Fed meeting on November 1st. That could be finally it. And I think even though investors anticipate this could be the final one, actually getting it done will provide sort of more certainty that rates aren't going higher. Uh, I think that is a critical point. Even if investors sort of know it could be the case, just actually seeing it will give someone comfort that at least the rate rise is over. The valuations that you're kind of trying to figure out, you can start to get more confidence of that. That sets us up for potentially kind of a, you know, kind of a rallying tier, which November, December, Seasonally, you know, there, there tend to be quite good you know, months of the year. Right. Get the popcorn out. That meeting on the 1st is going to be really interesting. So everybody's going to be waiting with bated breath to see where the Fed goes from there. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Always great to spend a half an hour with you. And thanks for sharing all your insights with the audience. Good to see you both. You're welcome. Great. And that is all the time we have for today. Thank you all for joining us as you do every month. As you can probably check by your calendar, we're here the first Thursday of every month at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So our next monthly live stream will take place on Thursday, November 2nd at 1 p.m. So make sure to mark your calendars for that. Until then, we're going to keep you updated with all the latest thoughts from our CIO, including the, those that come from our House U publications, the alerts that we have our analysts and strategists send out, and more, plus all the great multimedia you can find at our website, ubs.com forward slash views. You've got podcasts, you've got uh, videos, uh, all kinds of content there for you to peruse uh, featuring many of our CIO friends and colleagues. So, and as always, we always encourage you to continue this conversation with your financial advisor. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Anthony Pastore from New York City. See you next month. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.